The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Good Morning New York. Yet again, it is Tuesday, April 14th, and I'm your host, Vince Rocco, and we are coming to you live from Blast Off Studios in Times Square in New York, we had another last-minute change this morning. Our featured guest will not be here today, so we're going to see if we can reschedule him for later in the month. Big night out last night for a lot of people here in New York, so no surprise. But anyway, now. my panel is here, and I wanted to say good morning to Ivy Ray. Good morning, sir. To Deborah Hoffman and to Phil Horgan good morning. and to Niall Lundgren. How are you all this morning? Good. Doing well? Good morning. Well, good. Good, good morning. Excellent. So you, How are you? Missy, I'm doing very well, thank you. Um, I was also out last night with a friend um, from my company, and uh, we had just a few too many martinis last night, so my head is a little foggy. But you made it. <laughs> I, I, and I heard rumor that I you, made it. Yes, yeah, I, heard, I did, and someone else can't. I heard rumor that you bought some really expensive cream on the way home. Yes, <laughs> Vince is glowing this well, morning. Yeah, so literally. Well. Sort of, literally. But anyway, <laughs> the price tag was not fun. But anyway, I wanted to ask you, Ivy, you just came back from the jungle, and although we spoke about going to Tulum in Mexico, which is, of course, my favorite place in the world, tell us where you are and what, what happened. Well, I, you know, I think in a nutshell, it undid me. I had an extraordinary villa right at the mouth of the rainforest. It's it just in, in Costa Rica. Antonio Manuel, Manuel Antonio. I'm saying it backwards, in, in Costa Rica. Wow. And um, incredible hosts who were there if I needed them and non-existent if I didn't. And the monkeys and the sounds and the smells and just everything that you can possibly imagine that would be supportive of you unplugging and completely letting go. I had potentially the best time of my life. And let me ask you something because Big this claim. is something that keeps me out of the jungle and I smile about this because friends have been trying to do this with me forever. But are there wild monkeys and are there <sighs> things that crawl into your room and, you know, steal jewelry and, and knock no, you out? No, I think if you're going to kind of rough it there, yeah. you know, good luck. I'm not a camper. I'm so not a rougher and I'm not I, a camper so this is why I get concerned. I lived in a 1,400-square-foot villa all wow. by myself Wow, that was an extraordinary home that is is – Furnished with Balinese antiques and pieces from Thailand. It is, I'll show you photos. It was, everything about it was five star. And yet you are on your own and by yourself unless you need, and then everything is available at your beck and call. Is it near the water? It's the really cool way to do it. Close to the water? Um, I was a 10 minute drive from the ocean. 
I was at the borderline. You can see the line for the rainforest. So I was in the rainforest. I had my own pool. I had my own. And the walls are all like sliding, gorgeous paneled doors. And, of course, there's an alarm system if you're afraid. If there's – you can hire security to be like, you know, down at the end of the driveway. And you've got the SUV because you cannot get up to where I am without – it but you didn't w- feel insecure or, or unsafe at all? for a second, other than the inside of me that had to un- be unwound from being in New York my whole life. Right, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, that, that, I that, scared good. myself more than the jungle did. And yes, there are monkeys, three different species, and they were around me all the time. It is unbelievable. And toucans and sloths and every bird and every – but there's not a lot of insect. It's just – I will tell you a quick story. A friend of mine went to Costa Rica a couple of years ago. I laugh because I think it's a hysterical story but and also why I am not going there. But she went with a with another girlfriend and they spent, uh, I don't know, a week in the jungle and they had a, a, a resort-type room like you just explained. And they were told to sleep with the windows closed because in the middle of the night you never know who may come in animal-wise. So she's woken up in the middle of the night because she heard a noise and a monkey had climbed in the window and was rifling through her jewelry and was actually stealing her jewelry. And this woman has lots of very fine and expensive jewelry. And interestingly, the monkey knew exactly what it wanted and was going to get all the the rings and the watches and the diamonds. And she ran after this monkey, which she was told (laughs) not to do, and started attacking the monkey saying, give me back my jewelry. You cannot get out of the window with my jewelry. Ah." I kid you not. And I said to her, you should not have done that. She said, but he's not going to run away with my diamonds. I'm like, okay. Oh, my God. What a funny story. Well, the moral of that is you don't live in a place without screens. Well, you know, I if mean, they tell you to close your windows, whether it's screens or not, close your windows. Yeah. It's like, you know, hello, which are those monkeys are trained in Costa Rica? I think yeah, they are. Right. Right? Yes, yeah, they are. I'm just thinking that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Rachel just joined us. Good morning, Rachel. Good How morning. Are you? Good to see you. Thank you. Love you guys. All right. So, my family. We my love family. you. Know. you are. <clears throat> so anyway, let's talk about some real estate stuff. A prominent New York uh, attorney, real estate attorney, who specializes in representing ultra-high net worth foreign buyers, big talk all year foreign buyers, uber-wealthy people, has been suspended from practicing law after man- a Manhattan court found there was evidence to suggest he mishandled clients' funds and had he- that he refused to cooperate with the investigation. For our listening audience, what does this mean and what did he do? I mean, we don't have to get into the specifics of it, but but why would he you know, be in trouble for what they allege he did? What? Oh, I, we're all with bated breath right I, at our yeah, microphone. So all let's all just let each other go. So I, I won't go first because I just spoke, but I got shit. Oops, no, I was just going to say, say. I was just going to say <laughs> that I I don't know the details. I don't know the details of the particular case, but uh, just for the listening audience, an an attorney theoretically has a lot of money at their disposal from clients. And the reason is because every time a buyer signs a contract, they take 10% of the purchase price. That's the that's And it's deposited in an escrow account. That's right. It's deposited in an escrow account. And it's supposed to not be mingled with any other funds. So when these attorneys get in trouble, it's because they're taking some client's money and they're using it for other purposes other than it just sitting there waiting for the apartment to close. Also known as this, co-mingling. Right. Co-mingling. This one, I, you know, the particular attorney, we, we are sent lists for the listening audience. If I can say this, Vince, we're sent mm-hmm. lists, um, each of us on the panel, as to what it is that we might cover on each radio show. Vince often, you know, pulls rabbits out of the hat and we have surprises. And But this particular uh, story, we didn't have any names. We just were sort of metaphorically given the example that attorneys – 
can and have the potential and do behave badly. Sure. So some of us kind of used those words and, and looked up what story this might have been referring to. And I, I happen to know the man. And I, I think, you know, Niall and I were speaking before the show that what you have just mentioned is very true. And this particular gentleman, as I'm sure with many, you know, not only has like maybe six counts already founded against him, one small of which is commingling funds. Mm-hmm. So I think for people who are living outside what, of the New York area, to put it a little more in what they might understand is outside of New York, you put down what's called earnest money. Maybe five percent of the purchase, ten percent of the purchase, and that later goes to the actual purchase price or to pay the brokers or something like that. So the earnest money is kept in an escrow account. So in New York, <clears throat> it's also an earnest money type thing. I just wanted you to understand it's the same thing, and that's what was being played with. And it's important to understand too when you're dealing with an inter- attorney who deals with international buyers. There's a lot of faith that those international buyers put into the ETs. They're, they're going to be wiring money from different right. countries. Right. A lot of times they're going to wire the whole amount to the attorney, and he's going to be the one that's going to deal with that, not just escrow. So when you're dealing with these types of international plays, you know the attorney really, really matters. And if they're going to commingle funds or use funds for, for something else other than the, than the exact purpose that it was wired or given to that attorney for, that could be a, a very big problem. So there, there's a number of different you know, scenarios, not just the commingling, where um, I think a, another one from the article was that he uh, failed to, um, after the proceeds of a sale, failed to give the proceeds back. So if they sold it for a million dollars over what they had yep. purchased it, you know, didn't give the million dollars back. And he back. also has been cited for what uh, – Acquiescing his own purchase, yeah, exactly. Serving as yeah. the broker, yeah. Serving as the title person, serving as the like every every yeah. title. Bank attorney, I know the like man. Everywhere. He's licensed in every direction. And then finish the story. What was it he did? This one is wild. Well, what? Where he didn't give the funds back? No, the mortgage one. Oh, that where he he put like a main loan as um, so he got a one point nine million dollar loan from a bank, but he didn't record it right. because he made a second loan for five hundred thousand dollars, which he recorded first right. as the primary loan, putting the larger loan of one point nine as the subordinate. Yeah, um, which also is a problem. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit <laughs> of one. Even last as long as he did. I have no and idea. He has been the in the industry forever, and forever. he was yeah. huge That's with international question. buyers, yeah. which is something that is set up very differently for the listener audience, as Niall was saying, you, you know, you have all of these relationships, you have all of this time going on when you've got buyers that are in your pocket, in your sphere, in New York City. The international thing is, as you said, there's a tremendous amount of trust involved. And he cockily said, you know, yeah, we get wires, people show up with suitcases. So these people, you know, I'll say one thing, we would love to think that we can trust our doctors, our attorneys, our policemen. And it's just really a wild time on earth is all I've got to say. (laughs) And there's a lot of leeway in real estate as well where we're in in, in essence unmandated. You know, you've got to, you know, choose your people well. (laughs) And that's why we always give three recommendations. Always don't ever just give one attorney name, one contractor name. And this is a clear case of why because – he affected a lot of relationships with brokers because mm-hmm. people do blame the broker for a recommendation. Oh, oh absolutely. So I do, you know, it's just crazy that this the fallout on. on this is huge. Absolutely. Yeah, as we exactly. always say, you know, throughout our discussions every week, you know, the broker is always in, you know, by 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 nature of what we do, we're always in the middle of the deal and the transaction. So when something does go wrong <clears throat> in the transaction, in this particular case, 
a cuckoo uh, attorney, you know, somewhere along the line, the finger is going to get pointed to us as you recommended him or you referred him or whatever. So, you know, Rachel's point in anything that we recommend or anyone we recommend uh, rather, it's always two or three or four. I mean, you know, unless you've worked with somebody so many times and you know exactly what they're going to do for your client, it's it's really a a tough road. So you got to be mindful of what we are doing by way of recommendation. We're going to take a break. We have to uh, go to listen to some commercials, Mm -hmm. but we will be back. We are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we're back, and we were talking about an attorney who recently got in trouble by commingling funds and using his client's funds for personal use or whatever. On the heels of that, an attorney says that dealing with neighbor noise or complaints about it is a standard issue of city living. It is a very common problem. Sometimes you hear from people who are complaining about the noise and sometimes the people who are supposedly causing it. As such, there's a long line of court cases about this issue and it's pretty much accepted law that you have to put up with a certain amount of noise as long as it is not unreasonably loud or happening during hours when people would be sleeping. How common is this issue, and do you hear about this in your business? I can go on and on about my nasty neighbor upstairs, but I'm going to keep quiet for a minute. (laughs) Anybody, because I'm going to bang her own heels on her head. What do we feel about this? Besides the neighbors, I think Rachel and I have a pretty funny story. Tell it! Tell it! just brought it up. But uh, Rachel had a listing uh, in, in the village, and I brought a buyer there recently, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and we were at the open house, and literally there was there was a dog barking the entire time. <laughs> my my buyer loved the place, wanted to wanted to bid bid on it, but his only concern was that there was just a barking dog yeah. in the apartment next door yeah. the entire time. I really hope the neighbor isn't listening right now. <laughs> <laughs> and how did how did that work out for you in the open house? It was on the whole time. The, so, the dog, I say, the dog was on like yeah. he's like a like a toy. It was like a tape recorder. <laughs> it was <laughs> really bad. And every other time I had shown that apartment. Throughout the week, totally quiet, no dog. But the open house was ridiculous. And so the neighbor had stopped by the open house. She wanted the apartment. I was just going to say, I have, a, I have an important question. No Is it, did way. the neighbor make a bid on the apartment? No so the neighbor way. then made an offer on Monday. 
and she's a smart cookie. It Very worked. Strategic. <laughs> okay. Very strategic. Okay. So that's a great story. But I, but I know you, Rachel, and I, I have to ask you what was going through your mind during that open house with this barking dog, being the professional oh that you are. I would have been out of my shoes what over that. What are you going to do? I was, you know, the neighbor has become a friend of mine, so I wasn't angry. Um, I, I just said to her, why don't you bring the dog into the open house? And she said, no, 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 I'm good. <laughs> so uh, at that point, I just said, I'm a big dog lover. And anyone that wasn't a dog lover ran out of the apartment. And anyone that was stayed. And we still got a few offers, including Niall's yeah. client, yeah, who was our backup. <laughs> yeah. um, but when a neighbor wants to purchase, you go with the neighbor. As, as from yeah. the seller's point of view, it's a no-brainer with co-op approval. Um, and she wanted to combine the apartment. So. Actually, not only that, um, just today's, uh, I don't know if you guys read the real deal. So the Time Warner building lawsuit, uh, no. the, the condo board won. So the lawsuit, for everybody who's listening, um, was basically that the board exercised a condominium, not a co-op, and exercised their right of first refusal to refuse the purchaser of the owner's choice in order to allow the person who was living next door to purchase the unit at the same price. Wow. wow. And yes, and so the owner actually sued the condo board saying the right of first refusal should only apply to if the board itself wanted to buy the the apartment, not the neighbor, but the bylaws actually stated that uh, they could have a, a designated person purchase instead of interesting. Can I ask you a question? So, yes, it's very a very interesting I, story of this yeah. morning. I've misunderstood yeah. the bylaws. So isn't it, I thought it was oh, that they had the first right of refusal as a blanket thing for themselves. Well, it depends on the bylaws is what you're saying. Oh, my God. It, 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 that, that's can... the, that is typical, but yeah. depending on the bylaws in certain buildings, it can be changed. That there's that's different bylaws. Yeah. 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 Isn't that amazing? Yeah. yeah. No. But I didn't realize And that. this is the that's Time amazing. Warner building. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah. Oh, my. I hadn't read that yet. I'll probably get to it later today, but that's a very Great interesting situation. Just on that, uh, I had a situation Exactly the same, different building, uh-huh. but the owner won. In other, in other words, the owner yeah. said, I want to yeah. choose, and it went to court, and it was, yeah. it was, it was a lawsuit, yeah. and it was just the exact same situation a couple of years ago, but the, the owner won. Maybe um, the difference really, is in the bylaws. No, Obviously, it, yeah. it could just be a difference in judges. Who knows? Absolutely. No, right. I think it's probably yeah. the bylaws. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah absolutely. Or the uh, difference of board members. All of the above. Yeah. All of the above. And wow. then that kind of stuff so is interesting. That's a great story. When you walk around <laughs> and tell buyers, buyers sometimes, oh, don't worry, you're buying in a condo. Yeah. You, the board can't turn you down. Well, you know, there's always a what if, you know, potential yeah. scenario that can well, can I mean, happen. This is in a condo. I yeah. could only imagine how upset the buyers themselves were in this story. Absolutely. Right. For sure. All right, moving on. It's a seller's market and it's a seller's friendly market as we are involved in right now here in New York City. As you may have heard, especially if your condo or co-op is in decent shape and is realistically priced. Oh, I love that one. Realistically priced. <laughs> if you're lucky, you may nab, you may even nab multiple offers, but not all bids are created equal and not all are likely to lead to a sale. Some buyers put <clears throat> out feelers, even if they don't intend to follow through. Others lowball to test the waters. While it's nearly impossible to pick out a serious buyer just by looking at them, you may be able to separate the real ones from the sightseers by keeping your eyes peeled for these signs in open house. And here's a couple of them. So, you know, how's, how is their open house etiquette? Can you tell when people come through, 
your open house if, you know, all of the above, they're serious and not serious, they're kicking tires. I can tires. tell in two seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. And I think yeah. we all can. And how do you, <laughs> I think you're right, but how do you, you know, what's their etiquette? For example, how do you know that somebody is a, is a serious buyer? What, what, is something about their demeanor, something about their look, about the questions they ask? For me, it's it's uh, kind of innate. It's, it's um Intuitive After doing thing. it, yeah, for mm-hmm. so long, you just know. But I guess if you had to break it down, it would be somebody who comes in, looks you in the eye, takes the time to shake your hand, introduce themselves. That's the very basic. Somebody who asks too many questions, probably not a ready, willing, and able buyer. It might be just starting their They're search. They're just starting their just search or they just out. love the art of looking and yeah. asking and yeah. testing the broker. There's about, a lot of how that. How about the mm-hmm. ones that come in with a notebook and write down everything that you tell them or they <clears> hear <throat> and they're they're just, just writing copious notes and I think to myself, what are you doing? Working for the state maybe? No. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Well, so it depends on the buyer because there are some very analytical buyers yes. and they have yeah. their spreadsheets exactly. and let me tell you, they Absolutely. take notes and they are very serious. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll say like on, on Rachel's point like and Olier's point actually, it is innate but there are certain questions that they let me know if someone's serious. For example, um, if someone asks, oh, is the how's the board here? That usually means that, wow, they know about the board process. They know, you know, they say, is the board strict? Are they not as strict? That's usually a pretty good sign because someone who's just starting, they don't even know the difference between a condo and a co-op, yeah, let alone everything the board is, is strict. To them. That's right. <laughs> also, when someone comes in and they look at the closets, usually like pretty like that's usually a pretty serious buyer. Someone that's just mm-hmm. starting, they're just starting out, they may not open every single closet. But someone that's serious and they know about closet space and they're gonna you know, these are little things like this, I find, you know. I I've mentioned on my, on the show, I think last week, one of my new listings, two point nine nine penthouse in Hell's Kitchen. And this past week, we had a pretty decent amount of people come through. We're working an offer. But one group came in, maybe three of them with a broker, and they asked if they could not only photograph the apartment, but videotape the apartment. And they were 20 minutes walking around my open house with a video camera and with still camera. And well, because um, one of our family members, I think, said is is in Europe. And so we wanted to make sure that we can get this to them before we make a decision, blah, blah. And I thought, well, OK, so videotaping. Well, apartment. I have owners who would definitely freak out I if know. that were to happen in their apartment. I know. Mm-hmm. I know. I kind of said, yeah. well, you know, do it quick, but, you know, whatever. And I wouldn't let them go into the bedrooms. But the, the main area and certainly the outside roof deck, it was very interesting to watch. <clears throat> I want to make a point about maybe a new broker. Not only a new buyer. I recently had a showing where the the obviously a new broker had come in question after question, and I'm talking questions about when was Local Law 11 done? Oh, jeez. Mm. And I got to the point where I said, you know what? Let's let your client take a look at the space, and if it's the right space for her, I'll answer all your questions and I'll get everything from management and the seller. But there's – for all the new brokers out there, I think that's a really valid point that we can all agree on that like don't ask too many questions and try to look like a superstar in front of your clients. Sometimes less is more. As a buyer's broker, I always say keep quiet. That's yeah. right. Let, let the yeah. listing agent yeah. do the talking. Mm-hmm. That's why they're listing the apartment. Yeah. You are not. Mm-hmm. And when they say things to you like, oh, you know, that's not right or, oh, you know, when they try and talk around you and I think, okay – Quiet. Mm-hmm. Enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No more. I completely agree with you. Yeah, you have people like, can you explain the abatement? I mean, whatever. The new brokers are – they should be quiet. Yeah, completely. absolutely. Do we ask if their finances are in order, you know, at an open house, if somebody seems to be very serious or asking the right questions, as you all said before? Do we go into at an open house? Are you working with an attorney or are your finances in order or are you really prepared to do something? I, I never don't. do because it's a public place. 
And this is the kind of thing where a lot of buyers are very squeamish, and it's hard getting the financial information out of, their, out of them to begin with. So it's the kind of thing, if they're really interested, they are going to contact you within 24 to 48 hours afterwards, and then you get into it privately. Agreed. Agreed. Or or call the broker later or have a conversation yeah. offline, but, but definitely not, not yeah, because most people aren't comfortable and you really want the experience to be positive and not somewhere where they felt interrogated. It also depends on the deal. If you know that the deals, you have three bids out already and one's about to get an accepted offer, you know, you could also, you know, lead the, the buyer and sorry, or the buyer's broker and say, hey, you know, we're about to have a deal here. Are your finances in order? If you were to make a bid, you know, this is where we stand. Does that work for you? Could you tell me Agreed. a little bit more about Sometimes your buyer? Sometimes you always cross the line and you're more aggressive than you normally would be. Yeah, it depends on what, what, scenario, what's happening in the deal. Yeah. I think everything really depends, but you know what Deborah said I think really holds true as well. Yeah. Well, going back to also the original point that you brought up, Vince, which is in today's market and you know with people making bids and the market being as insane as it is, how do you separate a little bit in terms of which offer do you accept? Um, you know, first of all, I mean, we do accept offers based on financials and who seems to have the strongest, you know, just the strongest bid, so to speak, in a lot of other ways other than just money. But the fact of the matter is, is that right now, I mean, I know when I'm working with buyers right now, I'm putting in multiple bids mm -hmm. because there's going to be multiple bids on the other end and they're probably not going to get the, you know, their first choice apartment. So it's been really important to sort of manage buyers' expectations and say, look, you like this one and you like this one, then let's bid on both. Um, and so at the end of the day, that buyer is only going to buy one thing. So from the seller's broker side, you also have to be really like you have to be cognizant of the fact that your first choice buyer may have another bid out somewhere else as well. Oh so it is a little bit of a trickier <clears throat> market space for sure. And I think that both on the buy and the sell side, we have to be really sort of smart about how we navigate that. Well said. I absolutely agree with that. All right, moving on. There's almost no point in living in the greatest city in the world, New York City, if you aren't taking advantage of all it has to offer, and that comes down to transportation. We talked a little bit about the subway system, I think, last week, but does it help you potential building options by listing the nearest subway and city bike stations plus taxi stands like average wait time for a yellow cab? Do you put all of this kind of stuff in your marketing materials when you're, when you're you know, advertising a new listing in a building? Is this what the future is going to bring and where can you find this information? For example, if you needed to list, you know, how often a taxi cab comes by a particular building in a particular that, neighborhood. That one, sorry, that one statistic always bothers me. As a New Yorker, I've been here now 15 years. Average taxi time, it so depends on a million things, you know. I mean, so is like – Is it raining? Is it raining? Is it not? Is there – Sounds like walk, a frustrated New Yorker. Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because when I see that like as if like someone's giving this great information, average taxi time, five minutes at this particular location. That's not – don't even – I would say throw that information out. It's useless. It totally. Completely, first of all, generally in New York, if it's, there's not that much traffic out, you go outside, you raise your hand, a taxi will come. If there's traffic out, it'll take you 20 minutes to get yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now there's an Uber. So I, 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 think I was just yeah. going to say, I don't think it's even so much of an issue anymore yeah. because we have so many options, not just Uber, which yeah. I Lyft am. And I'm showing an X for anybody who can't see my X. I mean, Uber is, for all kinds of reasons, not in my book anymore. But we have so many options. So it's not just about the yellow cabs anymore, but I use them when I can because I consider them a landmark. Well, I was going to say, going back to what Vince, Vince's question, we have to be very, we have to be very careful about what we put in descriptions, <laughs> fair housing forbids us to say steps from. Correct. And a lot of brokers say steps from Correct. train. <clears throat> 
Correct. It's a big deal. It, if you're going to dig a place and it's a 10-minute walk to a subway, <laughs> you guys are still giggling. Niall is so giggling at I what I said. I'm going to bust out laughing if I don't pay attention. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, I think that the location thing is huge. And I think that a lot of people, it's worth your while to talk about how it is convenient or highly convenient to transportation yeah. mm-hmm. and leave it at that. The reason I put this question this week is because in doing the research this week with my intern, we came up with a whole bunch of things. But – Someone recently did ask me about taxi traffic in front of the particular building that we were on the Upper West Side, and I had never gotten that question before. And then recently, several people have downtown said to me in our search, you know, I'd like to be by uh, the closest city bike stands Mm -hmm. or whatever. And I thought, wow. Okay, so Mm -hmm. is this the future? I mean, people who ride bikes every day going to and from wherever, whether it's casual leisure or for work, they want to be close to the city bike stands. And I'm thinking, okay, so now we have to worry about, you know, is this fair housing? I mean, can I point them away from or close to one of the stands, whatever? I mean, at that point, you say, do you need to go downtown or uptown from your building when you catch a cab? If we, you know, (laughs) eventually it's going to be that that crazy. All right, we 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 have to go. Hold it. Uh, We have to go to break. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. We're back, everybody. I'm talking to Parul, Niall, Rachel, Phil... Ivy and Deborah. So just a couple quick facts. In the first quarter of 2015, the amount of properties sold, 2006. Pending sales, 4135 And the average price so far this quarter, $1,564,000. The median price, 950000 and the average price per square foot thirteen thirty six. Amazing, <laughs> amazing, Ooh. amazing. That's just ah. first quarter of this year. So Ooh, let's wow. see where that's going to trend. Okay, so a private tour of Central Park, led by its official historian and photographer, premier seats at a basketball game, and a meet and greet with a former Knicks player. Front of the line access at a hot Manhattan nightclub. Instant reservations at hard-to-get restaurants. These are just a few of the perks that luxury rental developers are using to woo new tenants. 
and persuade current ones to renew their leases. With condo-like finishes in these buildings and sprawling amenity floors with rooftop pools, bowling alleys, and pet spas now prevalent in many high-end rentals, developers are hoping the VIP treatment will help set them apart from competition. I think we talked briefly about this a couple of weeks ago, but does this really help? I think it does. I don't know what, 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 right. the, what the panel has to say about I it. Agree. But <laughs> yes, New York, absolutely. it's all about exclusivity, right? You have like the the tunnel and bridge crowd where they come and they go to their general spots. But the real New Yorkers, they go to VIP exclusive type places, right? You go to other cities, you could generally just walk in. So if, you know, it's not just that they're giving tickets or giving, you know, uh, walks in Central Park with the, the guy that, you know, is the official historian. It's it's a matter of the exclusivity and, and like creating a lifestyle around living in that that particular rental building, I think, which is really important to create a community as well. And then everyone's kind of walking around, high-fiving people. Oh, you went to that game, you did this. It's, it, it builds a little bit more than just, oh, you know, we have really nice finishes, et cetera. And then that emerging market turns into an established market. Yeah. <laughs> Very quickly yeah. because yeah. of those amenities. Yes. Really good point, and that Rachel. Community, that's why the community really does – and then the price per square foot goes up and it's a whole new world. Williamsburg, look what happened with the edge. Yeah. Great example. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to say that I think the discerning New Yorker is not going to be sort of swayed by the bells and whistles and all of that stuff that regardless of how cool a building is or all the perks that they're offering, it's all about the space. So, you know, a, a real seasoned New Yorker is not going to be getting a, an apartment because there's all this stuff that goes along yes with it. Yes and no. Yes and no. Because mm-hmm. I recently, I'm working with a developer and now he's looking in Westchester. That's really interesting for me. And, I, and as I was going through the numbers, I said to him, not only do you have to have a gym and a garage, garage number one, number two, I would do a dog run. There is nowhere to walk your dog. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think that, yes, you're right for the most part, but there are instances where it's a completely unknown area mm-hmm. and to draw those people in yeah. and especially not to ask for a broker fee. If the owner does a concession, mm-hmm. the numbers are higher as well with the amenities. It's a no brainer. I mean, I yeah. think that the key, key points are demographic. Like what demographic are you, tar- are, you, are you targeting? And two, if the location has specific needs, right? So I think that those yeah. two are the drivers as yeah. to whether these amenities really help or not. I was yeah. going to ask about the demographic. Good thing you brought that up because my question there is so there are people, as Niall said, who may like this. And there are people who Ivy said who, you know, maybe not. It's more about the space. But the people who do like these very glitzy, high-end, super fabulous finished Rentals, do they move over to, to purchasing, purchasing an apartment similar to these rentals or do they not at some point? I think they'd like to, but we have an issue in New York City about a lot of first-time buyers now with pricing. So, I, you know, often people get in these gorgeous rentals mm-hmm. and then what's available in their price point is going to be yep. a step or two. Mm-hmm. I've actually had – I've yeah. actually had problem with some first-time buyers with that because they have this amazing view. OK building, you know, like one of those Chelsea high-rises. Yep. Um, so OK building but great views and they kind of get accustomed to having a certain amen- certain many package. And all of a sudden, you know, when they're looking to purchase, they say, well, I want a view that's like this but in an equivalent price point and really it doesn't translate For, as far as when you're purchasing a view versus renting a view there's definitely a price disparity all right here's another one and i'm i'm an old-time new yorker and a pet peeve of mine so here's an old new york story your favorite dive bar record shop little cuban restaurant for example gets turned into a city bank or an apple bank on the corner or a cvs or a drain Dwayne reed 
you pass through denial, anger, you know, sometimes bargaining, depression. <laughs> stages. Stages. Yeah. <laughs> the grieving stage. Then inevitably you settle into acceptance, okay? Because you think, all right, this big old city is not, you know, I can't, you know, control this. Why are we so accepting of this and why do we give in so easily and why can't we have old New York back? And for those out there in the listening audience who don't understand – the city has become so progressive that and, and so expensive that the little mom-and-pop shops and little small bars and restaurants that we've all come to know and love through all of our years in New York is slowly disappearing and larger grocery stores, mostly banks and, and, and pharmacies like CVS and Dwayne Reed are taking over. Why are we accepting of this, guys? I mean this is a pet peeve. I drove home yesterday up Broadway and I think in, the, in, in two block radius, maybe three, there were seven banks on corner seven, and I just God. was enraged. It's Couldn't nauseating. Believe it. Remember the the song from Cheers? Everyone knows your name. Yes. Yeah. it's like everyone knows your credit card number. <laughs> yeah. That's what it's becoming. Yeah. It's so it's, sad. It's really deep. I think that uh, I have a strong opinion on this, and maybe some of the rest of you will as well. I think that you know, obviously, change and evolution, emergence is what life does. And if you compare New York City to Rome or to Paris or to any of the other great cities, to Barcelona, to any of the great cities in the world, even Chicago, mm-hmm. you will find that what they've done with the the bringing in of the new is paid, is done so with discernment and respect for where they've come from and for the history of the city. And I am blown away at what we're doing. And everything, everything that I took part in with my father when I was little is gone. Every bookstore. Every music room, every music room ah. I sang in growing up is gone. My son is 23. Almost everything that was our regular stuff for him is gone. Wow. The bagel shops, every the diners, Landmark, the bookstores. Landmark's preservation was supposed to take care of all this and really try to keep New York, New York. And when you read a lot of the hearings from Landmark's preservation on certain buildings yeah. and certain neighborhoods, there's a lot of wiggle room now, depending who the developer is, what they're going to do. And it not only is it very sad, and I think it upsets us all, but I saw a whole discussion on Facebook this week, which really upset me. Remember that tragic blast we had down on 2nd Avenue yeah, uh, in East, East Village, Village yeah. two weeks ago? And one of the businesses that's down there, which is wonderful, the Palm Street Place, is talking about rebuilding and they're looking for a new space because they're so afraid that corner is going to be bought by a developer and it won't be the same. So that's great that they're looking for a new place in the neighborhood. At the same time, and this really bothered me, there was a whole discussion on Facebook about B&H Dairy Restaurant, which has been there for 75 years, and this owner is wonderful. Even though they're really not damaged, they have a little smoke damage, there are a few buildings over, they are still paying their workers to come in. They want to reorder, but they started doing a crowdsourcing, you know, Kickstarter fundraising to reopen, to bring the, to keep the neighborhood what it is, which I think is wonderful, but it was amazing to see the comments of, oh, it must be a lousy business if they're doing that. And very few people really said, but this is a neighborhood. We have to keep it what it is. We have to keep a bit of the grittiness in New York and New York. I, I I totally agree. Like I said at the start of this particular conversation, I'm you know an old time New Yorker, and I and I miss these things, and I look for them, and when I pass all of these 
banks or, or, or pharmacies or whatever that's giant, I just get really annoyed because I miss the old <clears> world. <throat> Listen, I mean, I've gone on record in saying, you know, I can sell new development better than anybody. I've done it four times. I love it. And I think it's for some people, it's certainly not for everybody. But one of the things I have against the new development buildings is these tall glass yeah. skyscrapers just defacing the the whole landscape of New York City. And for me, you know, like again, again being an old-time New Yorker, I miss that. I mean, I there's merit to these buildings and there there's certainly a place for these buildings. But when you look at the skyline today compared to 20 years ago when I first really started noticing, I thought, well, I think, wow, you know, it's really, really changed. I yeah. really think that the city needs to subsidize some of the rents for these mom and pop shops, mm-hmm. the, especially the ones that have history, Absolutely. et cetera. Just the way we create low income housing in the city, I think it's just as important to create sort of, you know, a subsidy that really helps these smaller business owners Absolutely. continue to keep New York New York. It's not a bad idea because, I mean, the, one of the big problems where, you know, you're getting the Chase Banks or the Bank of America is going in is because from a landlord perspective, and we're all sitting here as brokers, but if you own a building, you want, the, in, in terms of getting the most out of your building, you want an anchor tenant, someone like a, a, a big box re- retailer or a, a bank who's get, who you know is it's a credit tenant, AAA, Mint, they're going to literally pay the rent every single month on time, no questions asked. But then you have the smaller mom and pop shops who, you know, something might happen in their family and then they have to loan their their grandson in, you know, Chicago, you know, a hundred grand and then, you know, they they paid fifteen days late mm-hmm. and then that hurts the landlord. So mm-hmm. the the subsidy thing is actually not a bad idea. I never I never really thought then about it. I say spirit yeah, yeah. young lady. It's really it's it's really not a bad idea and we should get to the point well, where maybe we start it. a movement for that because Makes I think sense. it's unbelievable. I think that people are gonna start getting on board and hopefully, you know, it's not too late. It's never too late because we still have a lot no. left that could be erased. Yeah. Not only that, I mean, yeah. I just was looking at this. Um, somebody sent me because they know that how much I love pre-war and just like historical buildings and whatnot. And it was this whole like email of like all these buildings. Or was it a New York Times? It, I, I saw it somewhere online, but I think it was a New York Times article that sort of showed all these landmark buildings that were just absolutely gorgeous that no longer exist. And it was I these old it. photographs yep. of like all over New York. And I was watching, yeah. I was just looking at this and I was like, whoever thought that it was a good idea to let these buildings get torn down for the garbage that was put up afterwards, yeah, I'm you with know? You all yeah. The way. yeah. It's very interesting. And, and again, maybe there, there's something to be said for starting up some, some campaigns to get, you know, local governments to start subsidizing parole. That's an unbelievable <laughs> idea. But you know what? We could certainly look at it and, and see what can, what can happen. We're going to go to break. We will come back and finish our last segment. Uh, so don't go, everybody. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. 
You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, we're back, everybody, and uh, we're talking about the defacing of New York over the, the the past several years with new development buildings, with the loss of uh, the beloved mom-and-pop stores. I read an article just the other day in The Real Deal that says the outdoor fire escape, which is an iconic piece of New York City streetscape, may soon disappear. Preservationists seek to restore buildings to their original slate as they safely – uh, as safety experts rethink the protocol, the fire escape is slowly vanishing from the city buildings. They're taking them down and, uh, you know, kind of making the interior hallways more fireproof. But, again, when you look at some of these buildings, these fire escapes have been there forever and ever and ever from the 1800s. Now they're taking them down. I have to question, though, you know, with the safety experts, and I'm certainly not one, how safe is that? And is the an interior hallway that becomes fireproof, you know, what happens to the to the smoke? Smoke inhalation is what really kills not people. Not only it's that, not... what if that's the side that there's a fire and you need another exit to get out? I mean, to me, it's a locational issue. Is yes. that if the fire is something that prevents you from going out the front door, Correct. then having the fire door. escape is very important. Yeah. yeah, and you don't have all the things that you have in luxury buildings in the walk-ups. You need the fire escape. Yeah, I think you definitely – I mean, I yeah. my, my apartment had a fire, and I, I mean, oh. I didn't have to go through the fire escape, right. but I sure as hell would want the option. But as I said before, it's also about smoke inhalation, you know. So you you can go down a, a back staircase, but if it's filled with smoke, what's the point of that? At least yeah. out on a fire escape, you have outside air that mm-hmm. can kind of combat. And you have firemen seeing you. And, and you have, have people seeing as you. As so. with the recent one in the, in the East Village, they couldn't get near the building. Mm. Everything was consumed from the inside out. Remember, they all stood there. Yeah. And the whole place was in flames. I just want to say one more thing that trips back to where we just were. So fire escapes are one of our – I'll use the term again, landmark. It's one of the visuals. Yeah. yeah. It gives you what New York is. Yeah. Water as towers. Well as our- <laughs> Hello, young lady. You're about to say so, that too. <laughs> you know, the bottom line is if they have no more function, which a lot of them aren't used anymore, are we just going to sterilize they're still beautiful. the city? They're still that beautiful. is my point. I love well, looking at God. that. Okay, so everyone in New York City that's rising and everybody out in the country – Let's start doing something. New Yorkers are aggressive, proactive, and they have large mouths. If the city did a a level of uprising, something could happen. And, you know, Deborah, I mean, um, Rachel and I were talking about this during the break. I said, you know, the reason why I think that these things sort of vanish and then it becomes okay is because it's a generational issue. And every 25, 35 years, people who used to remember something are no longer around. Right. And the next generation, this is just what New York looks like to them. So they're not nostalgic for the old New York. Like, I did not know this till I think yesterday or the day before, that before 1975, Staten Island was called the Borough of Richmond. Yeah. I had no clue. Oh, no wow. idea. I didn't know that. I didn't I know. 1975. Yeah, Interesting. I saw wow. this on TV and I was like, the Borough of 1975, Richmond? like that's when they changed it, changed the name to Staten Island. Yeah. Wow, news to me. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. There you have it. One more point on the balconies. Sure. I don't think they could get Good rid of the point. balconies because, you know, when you're talking about East Village walk ups, that is like you 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 sell to the people like look there's your there's your balcony you right. go out and right. it's a fire escape that's yeah. that's your well, outdoor space out that's your <laughs> that's they your backyard basil yeah. and they do other things yeah. you can yeah. Yeah. yeah yes they do <laughs> <laughs> other things with pots absolutely yeah. 
take off the S. Listen, yeah. uh, of course. <laughs> Moving right along. But listen, <laughs> but last summer, gentle. as I used to come back from the weekends in the country house and I'd get to the city, one of the things I used to enjoy was, you know, the, the love of both worlds, the countries, the farm, the, the rambling, you know, hills and, and, and whatever, the horses. And then you come back into the city and you look at the fire escapes and you look at the water towers and you just look at the landscape of Manhattan. And I'm sorry, you know, again, I just love my town. I love my city. And these are the things that I would like to see preserved. And anyway, to Rachel's point, go ahead. that is why we all gravitate to the West Village and to the meatpacking right. because it still feels like it's old New York, right? right? So yeah. Rachel many, just said that. I'm quoting Rachel in front well. of Rachel. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like an episode from Friends, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, but we all are friends. We have our We all are drawn to the lower buildings, the Sohos, it's, the meatpacking it's true. area. It's yeah, true. And, and Tribeca. Oh, my God. Well, the low-rise zoning down there, too, you can't build in most places. You can't build these high skyscrapers. Anyway, moving on, you get a temporary job in California and you want to sublet your rent-stabilized apartment. Here we go. I read my lease and it seems to say that I can't. I asked my landlord and he said that if I sublet, he'll evict me. Do I have a right to sublet? And if so, for how long? How much am I allowed to charge the subtenant, MrLeaseBreak.com? <laughs> so wait, so uh, is this a real story, Vince, or is this just like a, a, what, a what if? Okay, a what if. No, because I say because a, a rent-stabilized lease does allow you, does allow the tenant to sublet it. Rent-stabilized lease. A rent-stabilized okay. lease does allow you to, to sublet it. Um, the, the landlord can't unreasonably withhold their permission. That's what the standard lease talks about. In terms of how much you could rent it for, I believe you could rent it for 10% more if it's furnished, I believe is what mm-hmm. the clause Correct. is. Oh, for, really? yeah, I believe if it's if it's furnished, you can rent it for ten percent more, um, and that's it. You can't go you can't go above can't that profit. Yeah, yeah, right, right. So question to all of you, um, and Phil especially, but, yeah. you know, so how often does this come up? I mean, you know, job transfer, first of all, we sign a, a rent-stabilized lease or, or a fair market or market uh, lease, whatever, and we get a job transfer. I mean, these things happen. I mean, do can landlords really make it difficult for you as the tenant to move on? I mean, hey, well, for, a rent oh, sorry, for a rent-stabilized lease, every time – Every time a tenant vacates, the landlord could raise the rent either 17% on a one-year lease or 20% on a two-year lease. Right. So the landlord is very heavily incented for that tenant to leave leave completely. Anyway. Right. So um, the landlord can make your life difficult. I mean, really, because the truth is that the, the market in Manhattan moves so quickly. But the landlord could say, okay, I'll review the paperwork from this new tenant yeah. in 30 days. You know, And they could do that. And they, they have every right to do that. And of course, that just makes it very difficult. So I always get back to this and people ask me, can I break my lease? The truth is, Talk to your landlord first. Mm-hmm. Get your landlord's permission. If you don't have your landlord's permission, it's almost a non-starter because it's very, very difficult. You don't want to sue the landlord. It just gets very, very messy. Mm-hmm. Well, it's so, a very messy situation. Yeah, you've got to work with your landlord. Some landlords are very friendly as long as you find a tenant to take over the lease and they're not going to come out of pocket. You know, They're okay with it, but um, they can make your life really difficult. If they feel like the rug is being taken out yeah. from yeah. them, yeah. they yeah. will get angry right. and they will kick you out. Right. In my experience, I just had something recently where they didn't tell the landlord and she's kicking them out in 30 days. Yeah. Now, if they Ooh. just, as a courtesy, put a call into your landlord and say, FYI, my roommate's moving out, but I'm still here. Can I find another roommate? Most likely the landlord would, yeah. would work with you. Yeah. You know? You have a contract with the landlord, ultimately. It's a contract. So if you want to break that contract or do something, talk to them, speak to them, email them, get in touch with them, work with them. And wouldn't you recommend that when they do so and the landlord says yes, get it in writing? 
Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, and everything right? yeah. Yeah. you don't exactly. really know. Everything, absolutely. everything absolutely. in real estate. Anywhere, I would assume, but most especially here in New York, should be in writing. Moving on, there are a million little tricks of the trade when it comes to getting a good sale price for your New York City apartment, but perhaps none is more important than the concept of co-broking, in which the seller's broker works with the buyer's broker to complete the sale rather than handling the entire thing themselves. What is the consensus here? Because this can be – I mean, you can go either way with this. So do you think – Ivy Ray is laughing – do you think you're in a better situation when you're renting – renting, excuse me, selling with a co-broker or is or not? I mean, at the end of the day, we're looking to get the best price for our client who is the seller in this particular case. Yeah, I, I would just say something quickly that um, for the listening audience, if they're not considering this, that the traditional percentage on a sale is 6%, right? It was people, yeah, um, yeah, sorry. And there was a while where brokers were kind of, you know, trying to get uh, exclusive listings as the sales broker for less than that. But I think it's kind of eking back up to six being what it is that goes as commission split to the broker. So if you imagine that if you're the seller's broker and you sell this to direct buyers, I'm explaining this to the listening audience, you're going to get 6% of the purchase price as your commission. If you split, which means that if you sell um, to a buyer who has is represented by another broker, you get 3%. So this incentive enters the mind of many a broker. And I, the brokers, often brokers don't even answer emails from other brokers that want to show the apartments to their buyers because their primary thing, I mean, it's a lot of money, but at the end of the day, what is the primary aim to get the best price and to, to choose buyers that are going to actually follow through so that you end in a sale. So and I'm only point, laying the just, land and now everyone yeah. can give their opinions, but it's unbelievable yeah. when you hound somebody, I want to bring my buyer, I want to, and they don't even answer you because you so, if they're a Rebney member. Yeah. 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 They'd rather go direct. But here's the thing, though. I think that that is like myopia at its, at, at its greatest, right? I mean, it is so short-sighted to be a broker who interacts with the brokerage community that way and also does a disservice to the seller because these are just basic economic driving principles, right? Like the higher there's a demand, a.k.a. more people look at the apartment, there's more interest in the apartment, the higher the price you're going to get for the seller. If you don't work from that principle and also recognize that if you're not supporting other brokers in the industry right now and today and getting your sale done, then when you have buyers out there, trust me, as many brokers as there are in the city, it is a reputation-driven business. Mm-hmm. We all know each other. We all know each other, people's reputations, even if we've never met them. And if somebody has a reputation of sort of withholding and not showing and taking appointments and being fair with the brokerage community, then when that person is out with a buyer, I would I would say to that broker, good luck getting a deal done for your buyers. Right. So in, in the end, you're shooting yourself in the foot uh, by not taking care of what your ultimate fiduciary responsibility is, which is to your client and I doing what with, is right by your client. I agree with everything not only you said, that, but and yet it happens a lot. Th- I actually enjoy co-broking in most oh, cases. So I do too. Because I do too. the reality is a buyer's relationship with their broker, mm-hmm. if it's a good broker, most of the time it is. We mm-hmm. all have negative, but for the most part, it's good. And when they do the board package, we're talking mostly co-ops here because the city makes up, I think, 80% co-ops. You're dealing with someone's financials. And I've had some wonderful stories where the buyer's broker 
beautifully just the whole transaction was a dream because they had the trust from their client. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, a few times I do directs. I think directs are like 10%, 90% co-broke. Is that where we're at right now? I'd agree. That sounds about right. That sounds about right. A lot of times when you're dealing with a direct, they don't trust you. They think you're working for the seller. Which you are. Which you are. Because you're a dual agent and your fiduciary is to the seller. Absolutely. And so then all of a sudden they don't want to give you all their financials and their statements for the board package. All right, guys, we have to end there. Unfortunately, we are out of time, but that's a very good point. Um, That's Good Morning New York for this week. We are back next Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific Time Live. You can always catch the show later in the day on podcast or anytime on our website, voiceamerica.com. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us today, and we will see you next time. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.